We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real Steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. This is a seminal moment in American soccer history. Now, Pulisic is undeniably one of the great young talents in the world. That he's American makes him even more valuable, and that's reflected in the fee. So is he worth it? He's worth whatever someone's willing to pay. But no matter how this ends, this is a good thing. Hello, sunshine. I'm Alexi Lalas, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. As you heard, we'll be talking about the mega transfer deal that American Christian Pulisic signed with Chelsea. We'll have our Mossy Makes the Case segment. We'll be answering your questions in our hashtag Ask Alexi segment and so much more. But first, as always, joining me, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you in this 2019? So far, so good. Uh, <laughs> let me ask you this. What is the Happy New Year cutoff? If you see somebody for the first time in mid-January, uh, do you say Happy New Year, or at that point have you missed the Happy New Year window? I don't think that there is a window in that when you see that person, if it is for the first time in the year, I think there it is completely valid and fair to recognize that this chapter has been turned, this new leaf has been put upon us where all is open in everything, including the friendships that we have, either to go in a different direction or to augment uh, and to improve upon it. So I don't think that there is, and I don't think there should be any type of uh, arbitrary date when you say, well, you can't say that anymore. So if you want to say it in February, go for it. If it's the first time that you are seeing me or the first time I'm seeing you, I hope if it's a good friend or even just one that you want to be a good friend, you have the, uh, the fortitude to say, I don't care what the masses say. I'm going to say, what is it, Merry, Happy? What do you, what do you say? Happy New Year, right? Some Happy people New say Year. Merry New Year. Have you ever heard that before? No. You've never heard, heard that? that? Maybe nobody says that. Maybe I just heard that. How was your uh, your your break? Good? Resting? Excellent. Yeah. Uh, Are you rejuvenated? To, oh, absolutely. I went to Florida, uh, met up with the parents, had a relaxing few days there. I did, I have to say, over the holidays, finally listen to American Fiasco, oh, Roger yes. Bennett's excellent podcast about the 1998 U.S. World Cup team. I tried to talk to you about it over text this week, <laughs> and I could tell the wound was still fresh. You kind of brushed me off. 
Uh, for those that don't know what Mossy is talking about, uh, my good friend Roger Bennett uh, actually did a real deep dive into what was the 1998 um, World Cup team that was, in all senses of the world, a word, a complete fiasco. Uh, yours truly featured prominently in it. Um, we all have our versions of history and our stories to tell. Certainly not my finest hour, as I readily admit, in the podcast, if you listen to it, but I think it gives you a glimpse into the, the destruction from within of a team and the the failure and the lack of realizing potential because there was a lot of potential and we wasted it. And I, I regret few things in my life, but I certainly regret that because we wasted an opportunity from a soccer perspective. And I was part of that in terms of the, uh, the manufacturing of that fiasco. Yeah, I was shocked that yeah. Eric Winalda and Alexi Lalas were the two biggest malcontents at that chateau. I mean, oh never would have guessed that. Uh, okay, so you're, you're, you're good physically, you're good mentally, you're ready for 2019. We're looking to give you uh, more of the same uh, in, in the good stuff that we've done. We're going to tweak and we're going to evolve as, uh, as you should in any type of endeavor. Uh, but we're, we're looking forward to doing a lot of different things, including at some point in the future. Uh, for, those of us, for those of you that, that have followed this podcast for a while, you recognize that we don't have things yet like something like an interview or something like that. I think there's going to come a time where we're going to have the first ever interview uh, from somebody else coming into this this sanctuary that we have here. So we're going to see how that goes going forward. But for the most part, uh, we're going to stick to the template that we have because it's working. We like it and we thank you so much for tuning in. If you have, if this is your first time, welcome to 2019. I hope everybody had a wonderful break. I hope we all are rejuvenated physically and mentally and we can go on. All right, Mossy, should we light this candle in 2019? Yep. All right. And away we go. As you know, each and every week we kick off the pod with Alexi Lawless's State of the Union. Yes, it's time for my State of the Union, where I look at a part of the game from an American perspective. And this week, it goes a little something like this. Christian Pulisic agreed to a transfer from Dortmund to Chelsea for $73.1 million. This is a seminal moment in American soccer history. Because this isn't just a big transfer fee, quote, for an American. No, this is a big transfer fee for a human. How big? Well... It's the 26th most expensive transfer fee in the history of the game, one of the top 10 most expensive transfers in EPL history, and it's also over three times the previous record transfer fee ever paid for an American of $22 million. Now, Pulisic is undeniably one of the great young talents in the world. That he's American makes him even more valuable, and that's reflected in the fee. Because all modern soccer brands, but especially the global super clubs, are locked in a race for global relevancy and are looking to capture hearts and minds of the world. They all want and they need to mine, or in many cases continue to mine, the fertile U.S. market. Having a Christian Pulisic on your team certainly helps. So is he worth it? Well, just like your house, he's worth whatever someone's willing to pay. But this is a calculated buy from Chelsea of a valuable asset and the complete package. And one that, if he stars in the world's most popular league, will only increase in value. So far, Pulisic's rise to stardom has followed a smooth, calculated, and smart path. This next step may provide the global American superstar an elixir that so many crave. Or it may provide yet another cautionary tale of too much too soon, unfulfilled potential, and simply not living up to the hype or the price tag. But no matter how this ends, this is a good thing for Pulisic and for American soccer. 
All right, and that's our State of the Union for this week. Mossy, this news broke over the holidays. What? It's not necessarily a huge surprise because there was talk about this, but now that it's been done and it's been done for such an astronomical fee, thoughts, my friend? Yeah, big picture, it is a watershed moment for a club like Chelsea to spend this kind of money on a young American. It is a big deal. It deserves to be celebrated. But when you get in the weeds of, is Chelsea a good fit? Is this the right time to leave Dortmund? Then it becomes a bit more complicated. I would say this about Chelsea. I know they have a reputation for not giving young players a fair chance, but it's usually academy players or young players they didn't spend very much money on who get cast aside for expensive signings. In this case, Pulisic is the expensive signing. So I have to imagine if they spent 64 million euros on him, at least in the beginning, they're going to give him every chance to succeed. My bigger concern is the managerial instability. Now, that's something he dealt with at Dortmund, actually. He had four managers in a short period of time, and Tuchel, Bosch, Stoger, and Favre. And he's talked about how each time a new one comes in, it's almost like starting over and you have to prove yourself again. And he could have that same situation at Chelsea. Right now, everybody loves Saudi, but the track record would tell you that uh, it's going to go sour and he's not going to be there much longer. And who knows who they're going to bring in. So that would be the only concern. But uh, I think it, it could work out at Chelsea. Um, I don't think this is like a terrible choice on his part as much as other people seem to think. When this news broke the next week when Chelsea played, the interviewer after the game asked Sari about the, the news, and he seemed to not have been involved necessarily in progress in the, in the whole process of it. I, I didn't, there was a lot of consternation after that happened. Did it, that bother you at all, his answer? Not at all. First off, he's coming off a terrible result against Southampton where his team got booed off the pitch. And I don't blame the reporter for asking it, but I think any manager in that situation, when a reporter asks about a signing for next season, he's going to be dismissive. And look, I'm focused on the here and now. We're in the midst of this busy period. We're coming off a terrible result. I'm not worried about next season. So that's kind of how I took it. The other thing is, you know, in England for a long time, there's been this situation where these Top managers also have complete control over transfers. And Chelsea have made a big point the last few years of saying they want to sort of restructure their club in such a way where, because frankly, they change managers so often that if they always operate on the whims of whoever the yep. manager has to be at that time, it'd be crazy. So they want to have a setup where the club makes a decision on transfers and they just bring in a, a coach to, to manage whoever, whichever players are there. And one of the things that was appealing about Saudi for them is that he doesn't want to be too involved in transfers. He's kind of one of these old school, just give me the players, I'll coach him. So no, I didn't take that as a big deal at all. Um, I, I think he's actually a very good fit uh, with Saudi. It's just For me, it's just a question of how long Saudi's going to be there. And as we know, Christian Pulisic is going to continue on for the rest of the year with, with Dortmund, so we'll see how He's not a lame duck. As a matter of fact, I think there will be a burden taken off, and I think he will be able to be used, and I think he will be able to finish it out in what is shaping up to be a potential title race, and certainly it's in their favor right now, uh, Dortmund, coming into this uh, second part of the year. The other thing was, uh, if and when some of these big super clubs start to get dinged in terms of transfer bans going forward, this might have been prudent to get this thing done for someone that they, that they recognize. And, and it goes back to what I said before. That this is American is, is part, is, not part, is a major reason why we are talking about this. And that's completely understandable in this, in this day and age. To, we're, we're constantly looking for this Messiah, and we're looking for this player that transcends the nationality and is a recognized global superstar. Well, in order to do that, you have to be at a super club. And with all due respect to Borussia Dortmund, this is a step up in terms of, uh, of notoriety and relevancy going to, going to Chelsea right now. Ultimately, how do you think this is going to play out for Christian Pulisic when all is said and done in terms of his Chelsea time? 
Well, look, let me say this. I think Pulisic is an exceptional talent. I've seen him do incredible things. He's yet to be able to translate that talent into consistent production, goals, assists. And I would have preferred for that to happen at Dortmund first before making this kind of move. I I know that this season you could make a case Dortmund are better than Chelsea, but in terms of the culture of the two clubs, Dortmund is the developmental stepping stone club. Chelsea is the finished article. And the trajectory is supposed to be you become a big impact player at Dortmund first, and then you parlay that into a move to a club like Chelsea. And that's not really what happened here. He kind of stagnated a little bit at Dortmund, and he's making this big move anyway. And so that's what some people are struggling with. And so I think, listen, he's too good that, to, to be a flop anywhere. Like, he'll, he'll be pretty good at Chelsea. But whether he's going to become this big superstar, I think, you know, both just how chaotic that club is and both the fact that I haven't seen him yet become this sort of week-in, week week-out major productive player, those would be my two causes for concern. Question, question for you here, because... Over the years, we've talked about how, at times, being American can be a hindrance, and you are looked at in a different way, and at times you are not assessed uh, in the same way, or I would argue and submit even in a fair way. However, if Christian Pulisic was Greek, do you think this transfer happens? Perhaps not for the money that... that Well, then it doesn't happen, right? Well, I mean, if a Greek player... Well, I'm talking... This transfer... Oh, for this old, kind of money, you always have to associate it with the money. Oh, okay, yeah, then then maybe not. Yeah, you think the whole American market thing is a big element here? Oh, I think it's, I, I, it's, it's not that Chelsea wouldn't have signed a Christian Pulisic, but the value that he brings to a recognized super cl- club, one that's already in the elite, but one that also wants to continue, as I said in the State of the Union, to mine that American soccer market. This is big. I will watch Chelsea more because of this. And there are a lot of people that will do that, too. I'm just, I, I, I was fascinated to see the reaction for, from people, both domestically and internationally, as to how much of this was about the fact that this is just a great player and how much as it was, this was a great player, but the fact that he's American, that's what drove up the price and that's what makes him so valuable to Chelsea at this moment. It's going to be interesting to see how NBC covers him if their, their coverage becomes more, quote-unquote, American than it's been. And also how a lot of these American soccer fans who have adopted Premier League teams other than Chelsea, how will they feel if he scores a great goal in the 90th minute to beat their team? I remember my former radio producer, Andrew Passar, was a big Liverpool fan. I remember Liverpool played Dortmund in the Europa League one year. It was this fantastic tie where Liverpool had this crazy second-leg comeback at Anfield. And I asked him going in, if Christian Pulisic scores a hat-trick in one of these games and knocks out Liverpool as an American, how will you feel? And he said, yeah, it's going to be sort of a complicated mix of emotions. And, and I do wonder how Americans are going to feel. You know, our producer Alex Dow doesn't have that issue because he's a Chelsea fan. So this is a <laughs> win-win for him. And he's rocking his jersey he's, he's today. He's got his jersey uh, today. But I mean, sir, if, you were, if you're an American that's like an Arsenal fan or a Liverpool fan or a Manchester United fan and they face Chelsea and Pulisic scores a great goal to win the game, how, how it's going to be this wonderful litmus <laughs> test of credibility, and and you you should uh, you should hate and use the same type of wording and express the same amount of venom than you would anybody else, and you shouldn't have kid gloves when it comes to how you that your disdain for if if you're not a Chelsea supporter, obviously your disdain for Christian Pulisic just because he's American should not supersede any any of that. It's going to be fun. I, there will be accusations. I guarantee that you are a faux fan. You're not a real supporter. You, you don't know what you're talking about. What's you have been exposed for what you are, which is just a Johnny-come-lately uh, American who's just come to the league and you want to uh, be hip and you want to uh, associate yourself with some team. It's going to be great. I can't wait to see it. 
before we end this conversation, I just want to touch on something that came up because of Christian Pulisic, and this is, this is a, a repeat type of thing. The question of solidarity payments and training compensation. We know that whether it's Christian Pulisic or, or many other American players, they start out, as a lot of American players do, playing at local clubs. Some of them go into MLS academies and uh, uh, in, in that ter- type of developmental path. And for those that don't know what we're talking about, this is compensation that is paid over time when players transfer to different places back to their original clubs. And the thinking is, from a FIFA standpoint, that these are clubs that spent money, time, and resources in training them, and they should share as this player moves on in terms of the uh, the money that is generated. And the th- as the theory goes, that money goes back into the development and helps the existing players that are developing there and, exalts and, and helps future uh, players. Christian Pulisic's uh, youth club will not be getting any solidarity payments or, tr- or training compensation right now. And this is brought up once again. The consternation hasn't changed in American soccer circles when it comes to how much we at times hate ourselves and love to eat ourselves and our own and everybody else around it. But this is a, a, a big, big talking point, one that requires much longer than we have here today. We will delve into it in the future. But Uh, I did talk to the MLS Players Association and they gave me a statement regarding it and they continue to be opposed to it because they feel that it's going to take out money from the people that they represent, which in this case would be the MLS, uh, MLS players. Right now, because of legal precedent and because of existing law when it comes to labor laws, uh, U.S. soccer has not opposed it, but failed to mandate it when it comes to players. There is still stuff in the courts with regards to players that have gone gone over. This is not a story that's going to go away. It's going to be fascinating to see as to how this all plays out. Once again, U.S. soccer doing things in a different way and uh, bringing up all sorts of different uh, arguments as to whether it's the right way, whether it should be done, whether we should do things the way that have been done and are done around the world, or for whatever reason, be it legal or just because that's the way we want to go, should we go our own way and we are creating something different and unique? Uh, You can find more about that on Twitter, and there's plenty of people that are much more um, versed and well-versed in terms of the legal aspects of it and the history of it when it comes to that. But uh, I ask you as you're driving in your car, as you're riding your bike, as you're walking along, doing whatever, think about it. Do you think that it's right for a youth club to be compensated later on when that player, he or she goes on and has a big transfer fee to another club. And would you apply that to anything else? Would you apply that to your piano teacher? Would you apply that to your elementary school? Should Mark Zuckerberg's elementary school be compensated uh, in terms of him signing a new contract and him making all of this money because they were influential in terms of making him into the person that he is today. These are all questions that I'm contemplating and thinking about. We will discuss them further at a later time, but this does play into it because of the amount of money that is being generated here. And the calculations, I think the, the number floating around there is a possible $700,000 that ultimately could have flowed, flowed down to Christian Pulisic's academy and the whole thing for pay, pay to play and all that kind of stuff. I just wanted to tag that on at the end there because I know that is part of the story that a lot of people think about, but I don't want to get too much into the weeds here when we're talking about it. Regardless, we have an American in Christian Pulisic who has just signed not just the record, but blown the record out of the water. And as I said in the State of the Union, I think that this is a good thing. I'll be fascinated to see how he 
how he plays, how he adapts, how he evolves into what has to be said is a much bigger club and therefore that much more pressure. And then, and we're going to talk about this later in the pod, how he continues to play and what he becomes from a national team perspective, because that's another part of this uh, story that's always there is Christian Pulisic and the national team going forward. And is he going to lead us, and when I say us, the United States and the United States men's national team, to that promised land? All right, moving on. Hello, people. It's Alexi here. More of the State of the Union podcast is on the way. But first, I wanted to tell you about a service every soccer fan needs to check out. Fox Soccer Match Pass. With Fox Soccer Match Pass, you can stream live and on-demand matches from the Bundesliga, international friendlies, and more, all on your favorite devices. And the best part? It's all ad-free, and you can cancel at any time. So check out foxsoccermatchpass.com and get started with a free seven-day trial today. Now, back to the show. Mossy makes the case. All right, it's time for Mossy Makes the Case, the first one of 2019. What are you casing for this year, Mossy? My case is that it's a good time to be English. <laughs> Coming in hot and strong in 2019. All right, lay it on me. Uh, Phil McNulty wrote a column about this in the BBC that really resonated with me. As we turn the page to 2019, I don't think there's another soccer nation on the planet that has more to look forward to. In the Premier League, you have what's shaping up to be an epic title race between Liverpool and Manchester City, who are arguably the two best teams in Europe right now. You have four clubs involved in the Champions League knockout stage more than any other country, all of them uh, capable of advancing in this next round, including Manchester United, who have been rejuvenated under Solskjaer, a number who, uh, name that I have trouble well, pronouncing. How are we pronouncing it? Ole Gunnar Solskjaer? Solskjaer. 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 Well, one of those it's going to be. Yes. We know who we're going to. Ole, yes. let's call him, right? Uh, you also have Chelsea and Arsenal, in my opinion, the two best teams involved in the Europa League knockout stage. I think one of those two will win that competition. At the international level, you have a young, exciting national team, which is off to a great start in this cycle, building on their semifinal run at the last World Cup. They have the final four of the UEFA Nations League to look forward to. Plus, you also have the Women's World Cup, which you can catch here on Fox. Uh, England are now ranked number four in the world. I think they will head to France this summer, feeling like for the first time ever they have a legitimate chance to win the Women's World Cup. So it's a lot to be excited about. Uh, if you see Warren Barton or Kate Abdo walking around with a big <laughs> smile on their faces, this is why, because these are good times indeed. All right. Please give me the opportunity to play devil's advocate here when it comes to uh, England. I, I don't. It's not that I disagree with you. Everything that you said is absolutely true. Is this, though, a situation uh, where the blind squirrel found a nut? Or is this by design in that have England, and I know there's a lot of different facets when we say England, but in general, have they done something over the last couple of years, or is this just cyclical, or, or have they been building to this in terms of the decisions that they have made both on and off the field? Well, I think you have to separate between club and international level. At club level, I would say we've talked about the Premier League financial muscle and when was it going to bear fruit. And it's interesting, while they haven't been able to attract necessarily the best players in the world, the Messi's, Ronaldo's, Neymar's, uh, they've attracted the best managers. And you've got guys like Pep and Klopp there now. And so maybe that's sort of a, a route they've found to overtake La Liga and perhaps reemerge as sort of the dominant force in these European competitions. We'll see. I mean, I, I said uh, Liverpool and Man City, arguably the two best teams in Europe. Uh, you just saw them play. Do you buy that? Could you make that case sure. right now that they're... You could definitely make that case. And, and once again, it goes back to while, it, while the EPL is, in my, not my estimation, it's it, by all metrics out there, 
uh, the most popular league in the world. And I think it's at times the most entertaining league in the world. And they do a great job of, as we've said many times on this show, churning those incredible narratives that happen on and off the field. Uh, we can make an argument as to whether it's the best league in the world. And once again, that's uh, that's subjective. But yes, when you talk about those two things, that was a fascinating game. That was a fun game to watch. You didn't have to have any understanding of the teams. You didn't have to have any understanding really, really of, the, of the game or the league or any type of background. And you could still enjoy that and you could feel the intensity. Uh, and you could see just two teams that didn't adjust for each other in, in, in any way. They said, this is who we are at our core, and we're going to bring it and may the best team win. And if they played it again and again and again, I feel like it would just go back and forth and back and forth. That's what you want. You want a title race. Yeah, I feel like City saved the match point that day. Had Liverpool won that game, I agree with Pep. I think it would have been all over, and now it's it's game on again. Uh, I do still lean Liverpool. I think they're going to end up winning the title. One thing I found interesting about that game was the most talented midfielder on each side didn't even step on the field, which was Nabi Keita and Kevin De Bruyne. Mm. Pep is taking a long time to reintegrate De Bruyne. I know he's been injured, but he's been back now for a little bit, and I thought that would have been the game to reinsert him back into the starting lineup, and he didn't, so that's going to be something that bears watching moving forward. And then for Liverpool, I'm a huge Nabi Keita fan. To me, he's a giant X-factor the second half of the season because we still have not seen the best of him, and if he can emerge I think he he could become like a massive game changer on that team so uh, that's something to look forward to I, I can't help but think that it's interesting that this Mossy makes the case comes on the heels of your trip to England uh, after being immersed in that true and authentic and real and genuine type of football culture and atmosphere now you come out with this uh, proclamation about how great England is and how and, and what they've done on and off the field and going forward. Am I wrong? That perhaps might have something to do with it. <laughs> now, a, a couple more points here. I did find the FA Cup to be kind of a buzzkill this weekend. You're coming off that great City-Liverpool game, and I'm really invested in that race now, right. and I kind of wanted them both to be playing league games this weekend. Did you Did you find that? Did you, were you excited to have the FA Cup back in your life where it was kind of like, ugh, you know, like almost how you would feel with an international break? That, oh, you know? yeah, it was, <laughs> it, was a, it was a complete letdown, and, you know, your, your pusher has been giving you the good stuff for two weeks straight, <laughs> and, you know, now you got some, you know, horrible chopped stuff that's uh that, that that doesn't even come close to get getting you off in the way that you want so yeah you're gonna be jonesing and i was uh, you know when when fa cup came around eh, okay well, well but first off the romance and the magic of fa cup we all know that it's not what it used to be and this only kind of highlighted it after uh what was a a good festive season when it came to the epl now you asked is is this by design, uh, let, let's shift to the international level, where I think England deserves a lot of credit. They revamped their youth system with an eye towards winning the 2022 World Cup, mm -hmm. and it's already starting to pay off. They won the under-17 and under-20 World Cups last year. They're starting to pump out a lot of good players. I think an interesting subplot in 2019, there still is this issue of young English players getting on the field in the Premier League, and now Jaden Sancho, player who I love, I, I tweeted that I'm going to name my first born after him, which of course, triggered some snarky comments about my love life on Twitter. Um, but I think he's really blazed the path here. And the next guy to follow, ironically enough, could be this 
Callum Hudson-Odoi, who uh, is this Chelsea player who Christian Pulisic's arrival might push him to the Bundesliga. He's this very talented 18-year-old that helped England win the Under-17 World Cup. He started this weekend in the FA Cup, had two assists against Nottingham Forest. Keith Kosigan is a huge fan of this guy. He thinks he's better than Pulisic, but he's concerned about his lack of playing time. And Bayern are offering upwards of 30 million euros, and it sounds like he's tempted. And a lot of English pundits are now pushing him to go and say, look, you can be the next Jadon Sancho and go somewhere where you can play. And imagine if you have this kid at Bayern and Sancho at Dortmund, I, I think it's that's going to become a big subplot here in 2018, especially with Phil Foden's future kind of uh, being discussed a lot. Is, is this going to become the, the the new way forward where young English players go somewhere else where they can play before perhaps eventually coming back to the Premier League? Well, well let's finish it up with this then, because I know later in the pod we're going to talk about the U.S. men's national team and its reliance slash relationship with Major League Soccer. The, the constant debate that we have is as leagues, and in this case, we'll talk about the EPL, as fewer opportunities arise for, in this case, it will be England-eligible players and less and less jobs and time, the, the thinking goes, well, it's going to affect the national team. However, it, what we've seen is that hasn't been the case. So are you, do you now believe that making it more competitive, which ultimately is what you're doing, is actually a good thing. You only need 11 players ultimately on the field. And if they are coming from a league where it's so competitive and they are not gifted and given these types of uh, positions and these moments, that it's actually a good thing in what's happened. Yeah, it's interesting. There's this whole issue surrounding Brexit now that the Premier League it might have to like limit the amount of foreign players and there's all this consternation over that. That was, that was actually almost a Mossy makes a case late last year. We'll probably revisit that subject at some point. Yeah, I mean, there's this debate about whether bringing in these foreigners actually helps the English players because it raises the overall level and they get to learn from these guys. But the flip side is, is it blocking their path to the field? I think ultimately, boy, if England have all this amazing young talent now, ultimately, if the national team is going to get to that next level. You got to find a way to get these players on the field. I mean, I've talked about Phil Foden before. To me, he's good enough to be starting regularly right now for a big club, and it's a shame that he's not. And I, I just think at some point that's going to hamper his development. So I think the the not playing, the bad outweighs the good. I think you got to figure out a way to get really? these players on the field. Doesn't it just force players to find other options in that when we're talking about the EPO, we're talking about, we're not talking about English players, to be quite honest with you, for the most part. The majority of the players that we're talking about, the stars, are imports. They are foreign players that are coming to England. And we don't lament the fact that they're not playing in Portugal or Spain or something like that. So shouldn't this force England, which we know English players are notoriously homebodies, they don't like to go anywhere. And why, why should they go anywhere if they had it right in their backyard? I get the same, the same thing was talked about for, for Italy for a long time. And then, well, I know Bosman and, and the European community opened it up and there was a exit, exodus of, and, and more players, which I think you can argue has or, ha- or hasn't uh, helped the uh, English, or the in this case, the, the Italian league or the national team, but maybe it opens up for more English players to Absolutely, go yeah. If this forces English players to do what Sancho has done and, and go to other leagues, I think the national team could actually benefit in the, in the long run because now you have more well-rounded players who have, have learned different styles of play. So absolutely, I just mean, you just don't want them sitting on the bench. You want them to either be playing in the Premier League or playing elsewhere, but you just don't want them uh, sitting on the bench like Phil Foden is right now. That's, that's my concern. All all right, well, uh, Mossy has kicked off 2019 in spectacular fashion, the England kiss-ass that he is. I'm not sure I uh, necessarily agree with it, but according to Mossy, England is 
uh, going to win Champions League there. An English team is going to win Champions League. Uh, the England women will win the World Cup this summer. The England men will win in 2022. It's all England all the time for England, and uh, all of his mates over there are rejoicing at, uh, at the way that he is now viewing the world and English, I'll say it, football. <laughs> Wildst. <laughs> all right, moving on. Ask Alexi. Okay, it's time for Ask Alexi, the hashtag Ask Alexi segment. If you want a question answered uh, or a comment or concern out there, use that hashtag Ask Alexi. Uh, and who knows, maybe Mossy will read one of your questions as he's about to do for the first time in 2019. What do the people want to know? All right, first up, at Punk Rock Guilt. Do you think Ole, thankfully he didn't write his last name, will get Man United back to the top four by the end of the season? Where are they now? Uh, they've, they been, they've been on a run. They're, they they're, they're, they're in sixth. They're six points out of fourth, which is Chelsea. Christian Pulisic's Chelsea. I do. I do. And I know we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, Real Madrid later on in the pod. But that, that new manager bump, you have to be careful. However, I think that the amount of talent that Ole has <laughs> happened upon in this incredible... Uh, turn of events here and it's not like he's just throwing out the ball but there is an element of Jose's gone and that I think has rejuvenated everybody just a a, a breath of fresh air and a good breath you know it's, it's not that anybody could have come in there but yes anybody could have come in there and given a <laughs> a breath of fresh air because Dom, uh, Jose Mourinho sucked the air completely out of uh, that room and never replaced it with anything that was uh, that was positive. So that's a long way of saying, yes, do you think so? Well, listen, the reason they sacked Mourinho when they did is because they had an easy stretch of games coming up. They wanted a, the new manager to be able to come in and get off to a good start, and, it, and it's worked. Five wins out of five. They've beaten uh, Cardiff, Huddersfield, Bournemouth, Newcastle, and Reading. Not exactly murderers row of <laughs> opponents. Uh, the first big test will be this upcoming weekend. They face Tottenham at Wembley. If they play well and win or even draw, I think it validates everything yep. that's gone on up to this point. If they play poorly and lose, it's going to take all the air out of the balloon again. Uh, but uh, regardless of that, I, I don't see them finishing top four. I think they're going to make it interesting. They're in the mix for sure now, but uh, I, I still see Chelsea getting it. I think the top four right now, which is Liverpool, City, Tottenham, and Chelsea, I think that's how it's going to finish in that order okay. if I was a betting All man. Right. Next up, at NYUTE25, is U.S. soccer tying the U.S. men's national team to the success of the MLS, and why is this a bad strategy? Okay, so we talked a little bit earlier about England and the connection and the reliance, if you will, on your domestic league. I think that the U.S. men's national team, notwithstanding the epic failure of not making the World Cup, it's undeniable that the U.S. men's national team has benefited from the advent of uh, Major League Soccer. The opportunities and therefore the increased competition has been good. Is U.S. soccer tying themselves to it? In, in what way? You know, Greg Berhalter is not required to call in any, one or any uh, MLS players. He's required to get whoever he feels is the best. I do think that Greg Berhalter has a heightened sense uh, and, their f and of understanding and respect and appreciation for what an MLS player can, uh, can give. But keep in mind that... That reliance and that relationship, to be quite honest with you, it's not frayed, but it has drifted. And if I was 
U.S. soccer, I would be looking at MLS and saying, you're not making our job any easier because there are fewer and fewer opportunities for U.S. men's national team eligible players. Uh, there are fewer and fewer minutes. It's happening year after year after year. Now, I'm not blaming MLS because I never thought that MLS was required or it was their responsibility to make the U.S. men's national team better. They would disagree, and they do believe that's part of their uh, of their philosophy, and, and they do believe that's part of their mandate. But the things that they are doing to encourage international players and players that aren't U.S. men's national team eligible and to discourage the minutes and the time. And look, it doesn't mean they're not spending lots of money on player development. But the the reality is that on the field, there are fewer and fewer opportunities in minutes. And I think that that is going to, uh, I don't think that's a good thing in this case for the United States in particular. Uh, we need as many opportunities for, for players to play. Uh, so I don't think it's a bad strategy for U.S. soccer to recognize that they have MLS at their disposal and to use it as a proving ground, to use it as an opportunity to get players who otherwise wouldn't be playing or wouldn't be playing at a high level because not everybody can go to Europe. And if, if professional soccer in the United States just ceased to exist tomorrow, you'd have all of these players that want to be professional soccer players. Only a certain percentage of them will be able to go to Europe and to get jobs. On all of the rest of them, they, they don't even have the choice. There's nothing. So I do think that it's a good thing to have a, a relationship and to have a positive relationship. That relationship has changed. And so uh, I don't think that it's a bad strategy. And finally, at LK Chugs. How do you not even mention Harry Kane when discussing this year's best 11? Because he wasn't in the best 11. I think that's directed at me because you did a team that was a mixture of men and women. Right. So it makes it a little tougher to sort of really analyze. Alex Morgan's better than Harry Kane. <laughs> um, what are you laughing about over there? I've already acknowledged my mistake on Twitter to this guy. It was an oversight. I stand by my front four of Ronaldo, Messi, Salah, and Mbappe. Well, then how is it an oversight? I also, standing by it. Well, I also rattled off other names that were in consideration, like Griezmann and Hazard, and I didn't mention Kane. And, of course, he belongs at least in the conversation. Harry Kane is phenomenal. He had a phenomenal 2018. Oh, because you didn't so mention his name. I should have at least mentioned him as sort of an honorable mention. Stop uh, lying, you big baby. The other change I would have made to my team, I got cute at goalkeeper. I put Kaylor Navas. Actually, I, I would have put Oblock if I could do it again so but other than that i stand by uh, everything else uh like i said i've already apologized to this guy on twitter i'm doing it here alex out any other platforms you'd like me to acknowledge <laughs> my mistake instagram do you have perhaps? an instagram apology yes. to somebody you said something that irritated somebody look uh, this is this is what we do and what was this uh, the person's name here um lk chugs lk chugs with a z that's cool yeah. uh not really but okay lk if that's your name uh mossy has apologized to you for breaking your heart and not uh, mentioning, not or not not including, but not even mentioning Harry Kane as a possibility on his eleven. There's only eleven spots. Create your own eleven, you big baby. All right, anything else, Mossy? Nope. That is it. Thank you so much for uh, those questions to everybody, including LK Chugs with a Z. Uh, send your questions and comments with that hashtag #AskAlexi, and in future episodes, Mossy will read them and maybe even apologize for something that he said to you that broke your heart and made you cry. Moving on. The back three. All right, time for our back three when we look at some big stories or games or moments of the past week. 
Mossy, what is in our back three, the first back three of 2019, in case you didn't know? First up, the U.S. men's national team, the January camp is approaching. Greg Berhalter, now the manager, what are your overall thoughts here, your outlook for this January camp? So it's all MLS. I am not... I think Greg Berhalter is first going to be judged this summer when Gold Cup, which, by the way, you can see on Fox, uh, comes about. And it will be the first opportunity for us to see the U.S. men's national team in a competitive environment since, well, since 2017 and that uh, fiasco at the end of the hex. So I think that's when ultimately Greg Berhalter is going to be judged. He does not have even close to his full team. What I want to come out of this camp is that I see players, and it can be either individual players or it can be a collective, players that are playing with an understanding that Greg Berhalter has given them. I don't have to, once again, I don't have to agree with it, but I want to be able to at least visibly see, and it might just be sporadic, it might just be a moment here or there, because this is his first camp, and these are players that... Uh, many of them have never played in a, in under Greg Berhalter as the U.S. men's national team coach. So the quicker that he can articulate and define and establish and have it become real to them what he wants this team to look like, the better off it's going to be. So I'm looking at it much more in terms of a template for this is how this team under Greg Berhalter is going to play, which means that I'll sit down with him and we'll ask him, how do you want to play? And he will explain, and he's done a lot of that since he's taken the job. But then you want to see it manifest on the field. And it can't manifest immediately. And we will give him some time, as, as I think is just and fair. Not too much time. We will have some patience, but what do we do? We, we have a notorious lack of patience when it comes to our American soccer and, and when it comes to sports in general. What have you done for me lately? Janet Jackson, what have you done for me lately? And that applies to sports, and that applies to Greg Berhalter. But I think ultimately, as I said, this summer is when you want to see his plan come to fruition. Not be the pinnacle, not be the absolute ideal, but you look out and say, all right, this is what it is under Greg Berhalter. And then we can really get down to critiquing and analyzing, and at times certainly criticizing whether it actually looks like what he said it was going to look like. And if it doesn't, why? And if it does... Also, why? Uh, next up, some big MLS managerial appointments. Uh, Frank DeBoer to Atlanta United, yep. Guillermo Barros-Skelotto to the LA Galaxy, and Caleb Porter to the Columbus Crew. Which one had you most intrigued? What are your overall thoughts about these managerial changes? Uh, most intrigue is DeBoer because he's obviously coming into the MLS champion, and it, it's, it's hard to come into a situation and in particular in Major League Soccer, where the parity is such and the structure is such that you can win MLS Cup and then the next year not even make the playoffs. I'm looking at you, Toronto FC. So I'm intrigued as to what he is going to do to try to improve, evolve, or just maintain what Atlanta has done. Because I guess you can only go down. And that's, that's not necessarily fair, but that's the reality. You, you, the expectations have been set so high, and Tata's now off with Mexico. It's actually just been announced as we've been uh, recording this. Uh, and he will, and you know, he's, he's sitting pretty far away and said, all right, you're up, Mr. DeBoer. So I, I think I'm more, most intrigued with that. The 
Shiloto appointment in Los Angeles is interesting because we saw Caleb Porter courtside at the LA Lakers game. And usually when that happens, it's a signed, sealed, and delivered type of deal. And it ended up not being. It's not a good look when Caleb Porter turns you down uh, for the Los Angeles Galaxy. But they certainly got a, a high-profile type of coach in uh, Shiloto. And let's be honest, that one can only, that can only go up. But I worry still about the Los Angeles Galaxy, even with the appointment of uh, Guillermo Baroschiloto, right? That's what we're saying? What's uh, interesting well. to me is there's still this debate in MLS circles as to whether the, the best strategy is to sign young South American players or establish World Cup stars from Europe. And I've always felt like the LA Galaxy and Atlanta United represent the two different sides of that coin. And given the culture at those two clubs, I almost feel like these hires should have been flipped. Huh? Doesn't yep. Scalotto feel it's, like a more natural replacement yep. for Tata and the guy that's going to attract like the future Almirones and Joseph yep. Martinez? And Frank DeBoer feels more like an LA Galaxy manager and the guy that would resonate with the Zlatans. And, and did you it, find that? It's, it seems... Yeah, it seems just completely different. They zigged and zagged, respectively, and 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 went in a direction, as you said, that, that doesn't really. But maybe they just maybe just want to go in a whole new direction. That's which is, which is fine. I mean, we all know it's really going to be interesting to see what Atlanta looks like when they are not good. Uh, Caleb Porter to the Columbus Crew, uh, along with, by the way, Tim Bezbachenko, who has been the lead man up in uh, Toronto. I think that's a hell of a pairing right now. And I think it signifies that the Columbus crew under this new ownership is going to do some things. It's not that they're not going to be Atlanta, but I think they're going to spend a whole lot more money than they have in the past. They have two incredibly capable and smart minds in Bezbachenko and, uh, and Caleb Porter right now. I'll be interested to see what the Columbus crew, SC, whether they keep SC or not, who knows, uh, whether, I'm just calling them the crew, whether, whether the crew progress and evolve and especially after having put all that nuts, nuttiness and craziness from the past year behind them. I think if anybody's unburdened right now, it's the Columbus crew and they can, uh, they can go forward. Of those three, let's, uh, here, I'll ask you and then I'll answer it. Of those three, between Atlanta under DeBoer, the Galaxy under Shiloto, and the crew under Porter, who does the best in 2019? Uh, Scalotto. Really? Galaxy bounce back. My man, Jovan Karofsky making moves. Really? <laughs> I'm going to say Caleb Porter in uh, in Columbus. Now, uh, Atlanta United clearly still have an eye on the South American market because they've signed Piti Martinez, the yep. Argentinian playmaker who just helped River Plate win the Libertadores. Tim Vickery's had a lot to say about this signing. Uh, he's written about how it's a bad sign for South American football that they're now losing their best players not only to Europe but also to MLS. But he also said that it's a sign of the decline of South American football that a guy like Piti Martinez, who was just named South American Player of the Year, in fact, wasn't in that high of demand in Europe and had to go to MLS. So that was an interesting spin he put on it. So, you know, send your, your nasty tweets to Tim Vickery, but that's how he interpreted So that in signing. one fell swoop, he dumped on South, <laughs> South American soccer, Major League Soccer, American soccer in general, right? Yes. Anybody else that, that, that I missed there? No, no. All right, Tim, whatever, it. whatever. Look, money, 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 money. <laughs> I mean, and that's a good thing. It's a good thing that MLS has people that are willing to pay a lot of money uh, for these types of players. And, you know, this is this is the trend. Once again, it goes back to your, your ode to England that we had earlier. <laughs> players and managers... Don't go to England for the weather and the food and the culture. They go to England 
because they're paying ridiculous amounts of money. And yes, it's a fun time, I'm sure, when it comes to the EPL. <laughs> uh, and we'll end with La Liga. It was a great weekend this past weekend for Barcelona. They beat Getafe 2-1, and then the two teams directly below them, Atletico Madrid and Sevilla, played to a 1-1 draw, mm-hmm. uh, while Real Madrid lost at home to Real Sociedad. So Barcelona now five points clear of Atletico, ten points clear of Real Madrid. Uh, I think there are some signs that they're going to pull away here and run away with this thing. That it's, it's been a very compelling La Liga season so far, but I'm not sure we're going to get much of a title race. Barcelona really clicking. Uh, I have some thoughts on Real Madrid, but well, first, go, go on, go on, go on, because I mean, th- th- this goes back to what we talked about earlier. Did they pull the trigger too quickly in terms of well, hiring? Okay, okay. Go ahead, go uh, on. a couple of things. Over it. Go ahead. I sent a, kind of a misleading tweet this weekend, and I got called out. Are you gonna on apologize it? again? But, yes, this is ridiculous. Uh, by, by, if 2019 is going to be just you apologizing uh, yes. to everybody, I don't want to be a part of it. By Logan Cropper, who's a <laughs> producer at Sirius XM, and also the great Kevin Egan, who works at BN Sports, a big favorite of mine. Uh, I've been banging this drum that Real Madrid overreacted to their good start on the Solari. Now, as they both pointed out, which is fair, the rules are such in Spain that you can only have the interim tag for so long. So they had to make a decision one way or the other on Solari. And at that point, he had won all his games. So And there was nobody else to step in. The Conti deal had fallen apart. So it was a no-brainer to make him the permanent manager, at least for the rest of the season, which is what they did. I'm not sure they had to give him a contract until 2021. That's the only thing I would question there. But the bigger issue for me, and what I'll still stand by, is the fanfare that surrounded that announcement. It wasn't like, hey, for logistical reasons and because there's nobody else, we're going to kind of make this guy the permanent manager for the end of the season. They acted like after four games, like, I mean, there were articles in Oz and Marca about how they had uh, lightning in the bottle again, similar to Zidane when he stepped in in January 2016 and talking about this great uh, turnaround that Solari had engineered. And this was after four games where he had beaten Melilla, Valladolid, Pilsen, and Celta Vigo. So I thought they were really reaching there. And I said this at the time that there was a potential for them to have egg on their face because I don't think Solari had solved any of the underlying issues under Lopetegui and here they are again in crisis and people talking about Solari getting fired so it's it's all turned into a bit of a mess there wow. for, for Real Madrid uh, but tell you what this is how good I am I'm gonna my last point of the podcast is going to uh, connect to Christian Pulisic so it's going to lead nicely to what I'm sure is probably your, your closing remark are you done with this uh, Real Madrid uh, uh, one more Real Madrid oh, point and one bright spot this past weekend is 18 year old Brazilian Vinicius Jr. made his first ever La Liga start uh, and he was phenomenal, uh, but he didn't score. And Vinicius is sort of in that phase that a lot Where's of- Where's he from again? Uh, Brazil. Oh, uh, he's sort of in that phase that a lot of young players go through. Even Messi went through this at Barcelona, where they, they do everything right until the end. You can see the talent. They create tons of danger, but they haven't learned how to finish plays yet. The last pass, the shot. And I always feel like how good a player is going to become uh, hinges on the degree to which he figures that out. Obviously, a guy like Messi's figured it out to a degree where he's, sure. you know, and Ronaldo and Neymar and those guys, and that's why they became who they became. And then you have guys that sort of half figure it out, and they become your Robinhos and Lucas Moras and guys who are pretty good players, have good careers, but not stars. And you always feel like they should score more goals than they do, but they just don't have that knack for it. And so I'm curious to see what becomes of Vinicius. Uh, And honestly, I think that's still the big question with Pulisic. Uh, I mean, is he going to become a guy that's going to blossom into the type of winger that's going to score 15, 20 goals a season? And and so I think, you know, for young players, that's always sort of an interesting question that I have. Well, so do you think, okay, well, we'll we'll finish up with Pulisic at the end. Anything else uh, in terms of the back three? Do you think, uh, so you don't think that Real Madrid's winning Champions League? No, uh, I don't think. I think their their high water mark this season will be winning a competition in which they beat Kashima Antlers and Alain, the the Club World Cup. Wow. Which which uh, Gary Bailey and Dave Denholm are the only two people that think somehow that was a big accomplishment. 
Do you think that uh, they finish the season with Solari? No, I actually think the way things are going, they might be forced into another change here, which would be completely embarrassing. But uh, it's bad. I mean, it's it's. I saw an excellent Fox Soccer tweet right before we started this podcast that hmm. uh, Messi has as many goals slash assists as Real Madrid do in La Liga this season. So, so, you, so you're blaming the coach, the coaches for this? No, but they're the first ones to go, even when it's not their fault. <laughs> no, I, I so okay, so but. So what's then? What's to say that the next person that comes in is going to be any different? Exactly. Yeah, I think you know they. It sounds simplistic, but they never replaced Ronaldo. They missed those goals. They got to <laughs> figure out somebody's got to step wow. up and wow. score those goals. And Ronaldo's flying high right now. <laughs> All right. Anything else? Nope. That is it. All right. So uh, we come to the end of our first show of 2019. As I said at the beginning, uh, thank you so much for tuning in this past year it's been uh, we've had a, a really good time and we hope for 2019 uh, to be even better we're going to add some things as we go on don't hesitate to tell us uh how good we are and don't hesitate to tell us how bad we are and when i say us i mean mossy tell him how bad he is because you're likely going to get an apology uh going forward but there's so much to talk about the news of christian pulisic over the holidays was this wonderful stocking stuffer and uh, as I said earlier, it wasn't necessarily a surprise, but it signified a, a lot of things, not the least of which is that we have a player that when it comes to uh, the perception and the price tag, which is something that we always talk about when it comes to players, uh, that puts him in an echelon and at a level of the elites of the world. And I mentioned the historic signing about how much it was and where it where it comes in uh, in the history of signings uh, just in soccer in general and in the EPL and certainly when it comes to a, an American player. We as American soccer folks are always worried and wringing our hands that it's not going to work out. Uh, we have a long history of you know, for lack of a better term Freddie Adu-isms out there. This is not that case. And it doesn't mean that Christian Pulisic is going to go on and be the greatest player that Chelsea ever signed and lead Chelsea to EPL titles uh, and or lead the United States to the World Cup. As a matter of fact, uh, and I've said this before on the pod, it would not surprise me in the least if the focal point and the focus and the true stars of future national teams are players uh, that aren't named Christian Pulisic. However, this is a good thing, as I said. This is something to be celebrated. This is something to be celebrated for the individual, the great player, and so far, uh, also the great person. It's also to be celebrated in terms of the pathway that he took and the influence that both coaches coaches that, that weren't his father, obviously his father as a coach, but more importantly, his father as a father and his mother and the family and the pathway that he took. And if you read up on him, this wasn't a Todd Marinovich type of upbringing. This wasn't 24-7. This was obviously a player at a young age who didn't show signs. It was just obvious to all that this was a special player. But We've seen plenty of special players out there, and they don't all go on to start at Dortmund and then sign a huge, huge transfer fee to go to one of the great uh, super clubs of the world in Chelsea. So this is to be written, but even if he is 
just a okay or a mediocre player uh, with Chelsea and doesn't live up to your expectations, this is still a good thing. This is a constant chipping away at the perception of American soccer, the perception of American soccer players. And this is a good thing. And this, regardless of where it ultimately ends up, even if he falls flat on his face, this is still an okay thing. And this is still a work in progress. But Christian Pulisic has done something that nobody else has ever done. And he has done it in a way that nobody else has ever done. And it doesn't mean that Americans haven't played in the EPL. That's certainly been done. But in this way, this is something special. And whether it's myself, whether it's a, a, a John Harks, who was one of the pioneers uh, going over to the EPL, I think everybody uh, recognizes that this is a seminal moment, as I said, and one to be celebrated, and one that we will follow. It has business aspects to it and marketing aspects to it, but guess what? It's 2019, as I have said many times on this pod today, and the business aspect and the marketing and the branding of leagues, clubs, individual players is a huge, huge component. And in our world of sports, we oftentimes associate relevancy, we associate authenticity, we associate ability with the price tag. And this is a hefty price tag. And people don't just throw money out just because you're American. People throw money out because you're a good player. And this is not just a good player. This is a great player who I've said many, many times happens to be American. And there is a difference between a great American player and a great player who happens to be American. And Christian Pulisic is exactly that. And we look forward to seeing him both with Dortmund for the rest of this season, that transfer over to Chelsea and what that means for him with Chelsea, uh, and then, of course, with the national team. And we will see him starting uh, this year and certainly starting this summer with, uh, with Gold Cup, hopefully if he, stays, uh, if he stays healthy. But I think there's going to be some names that we are talking about with equal amount of praise and emphasis going forward uh, as we are talking about when we talk about Christian Pulisic. All right. Onward and upward into 2019, Mossy. We've uh, lit this candle, and we will do it each and every week. We will see you again next week. Anything else, Mossy, before we leave? Nope. All right. Thank you so much for uh, tuning in, and as always, size the day. <laughs>